Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hey, Madigan. Hey, Keegan. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. I know. It's so exciting. Isn't I can't it? believe we've been doing this for three years. Isn't I know. that wild? Do you remember when we recorded our first Ask Me Anything episode? If you go on our Instagram and our highlights for our stories, there's a video or a boomerang or something of us where we're popping. It's a video. We're popping champagne. For our one year, that's right. To celebrate our one year. Mm -hmm. And I think last year, we just like totally forgot that an anniversary was a thing. Like, I just don't remember what happened this time last year because we didn't do anything. I don't think we did anything, no. (laughs) I don't even think we like mentioned it. It just kind of passed us by. So I'm glad that this year we're kind of getting back into our celebration of our third year now which is crazy to think about yeah and i want to give a big thank you to everybody who submitted questions we actually got quite a few questions uh so i'm really excited to kind of like dig into these and and give our answers some of them are things that we have never answered before so that's very exciting i also this has nothing to do with the ask me anything but i did say on the last full-length episode that i would clarify about the secret service agent who got peed on by the president Oh, yeah. And it was Lyndon B. Johnson. So mm. I just want everyone to know that I was not smearing that man's name okay. um, by saying that he peed on a Secret Service agent. He actually did do that, which is really fucked up. That is LBJ. LBJ. What the I hell? Mean, interesting song. I mean, we saw we saw him on the crown. He's he was a yeah. bit of a wild man. Yeah, exactly. He was a he was a little uh a little bit unhinged, some would say. All right, should we should we get going? Should we start? Yeah, it? let's let's jump right in. So let's do it. We're going to take turns asking the questions, and then we will both answer the questions. Yeah. Um, so the first question that we have is from Alice Ann. I actually love this. She is from Ireland. She says, "Sending love from Ireland," and her name is spelled A L I S A N N, but pronounced yes. Alice Ann. And I love that. That's so cute. We would definitely have pronounced it a couple of different ways. Before landing on Alison, I think. <laughs> yeah, we were like Alison. Al- Alison. Like, I think yes. I would have. I think I would have said Alison to be safe. Yeah, you know? for sure. But yeah. I love that it's Alice Ann. Yeah. They ask, "What are both of your resolutions for 2021, if any?" So I tried to go into 2021 without super high expectations. Uh-huh. <laughs> I made that mistake in 2020. And um, with we're all with what we're all living through, I just didn't want to be too hard on myself. But I did make an effort. I wanted to make an effort this year to be more honest and open and to just like live with the fullness of my truth, no matter what that looked like. Because I personally am so conflict averse that I have a tendency to go with the flow even when it doesn't serve me. So uh-huh. that was kind of the thing that I wanted to work on this year. Kind of a loose yeah. resolution, not like a firm thing. I mean, honestly, I think that's the best way to go about it because setting really strict and limiting resolutions on yourself is 
almost setting yourself up to feel bad at the end of the year. Uh, fun fact, for probably the last 10 years, my resolution has been to get the splits. Haven't done it. Um, but that's kind of like the joke now that I'm like, oh, my resolution is that I want to get the splits. But this year is a little bit different because, again, it's not – I wouldn't really call this a resolution because this kind of started before the new year. But, you know, I left my job and I'm – you know, I'm struggling and I'm kind of in a low point at, you know, kind of being in between things right now and jobs, but I have a very clear picture of what I want my life to look like. And I'm working really, really hard to make that a reality. So I think for me, my resolution is just to be motivated every day to at least do something, if not everything I can, you know, within my mental health capabilities of the day. Um, to make that image in my head a reality. I think that's just kind of my my goal. No specific, like, you know, mile marks I want to make, but just as long as every day I'm doing something to help me work toward I that. Like that. I like that. I think people get really wrapped up in these very rigid goals at the start of the year. And, you know, there is psych- psychology behind, like, when you say, like, oh, I, I want to do X thing, for my resolution that oftentimes that won't happen because you'll have mentally ticked that off in your brain as something that you've already completed. So it's better to kind of like silently set markers up for yourself or things that you can improve on and just move towards those, you know? I mean, and I'm also incredibly hard on myself and an extreme perfectionist. So if I set very rigid rules for myself, that's setting me up to be that much more hard on myself. Instead of giving myself a little bit of grace and patience and just saying, you know, as long as you're doing your best to stay motivated every single day, whatever that looks like, and you're working toward that image that you have in your head of that life that you want, that's all that matters, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for that question, Allison. Yeah. All right. Next one. Hi, Keegan and Madigan. Hi. I've been listening to your podcast for almost two years now, and it's still my favorite by far. Oh my God, stop. Thank you. You discuss all the things that I'm interested in. Madigan, I appreciate all the Judy Garland content. You are very welcome. I mean, I can keep it coming. I could talk about her all day and all night. And I'm so excited for your three-year anniversary episode. Congrats. So I have some questions I'd love for you to answer. So here's the first one. I'm a very liberal student stuck in a rural community in Virginia, and I know both of you come from similar situations, so I'd love to know if you have any advice for young advocates stuck in places where it seems like people don't want to progress. Do you want to start us off with that one, Keegan? Sure. So I really didn't come into my own until I left the Midwest, but I definitely still feel the otherness when I go home. So, I mean, I can't really answer like what it's like to grow up being very progressive whenever, you know, the people around you aren't because it wasn't until I was an adult that I came into that. Um, But when I go home, for sure, I feel that. And I would say, you know, try and find like-minded people. They do exist everywhere. And it might take a while to find your people but when you do they can be such an awesome source of support for you so uh, I know sometimes easier said than done but especially if you're in college oftentimes there are like groups that you can join Um, really try and seek people out within your community that have similar mindsets as you totally and I mean this is kind of a hard question for us to answer too because when we were growing up the divide wasn't as strong you know there wasn't the, the politics and the divide between you know the right and left was very different. So for me, growing up in more of a progressive family, you know, just me, my mom and dad, 
thinking very much the same and very progressive. It was almost more shocking to me when I would hear people say outwardly very conservative things or if I would be shamed for admitting that I was a liberal because I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that I was. Um, So, you know, adults giving me looks and things like that. So my experience was a little bit different. And also, though I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Minnesota, I am from a city that is very, very metropolitan. Uh, It's very different. I mean, we're, we're the home of Prince and Bob Dylan. You know, there's so many weirdos there. But I do have to say, um... When I was in high school, one of the biggest things that I noticed, I wasn't a part of it, but that I noticed was that there was a group of LGBTQ uh, classmates of mine that started their own LGBT alliance group. And I think that was really wonderful uh, to kind of invite other people in to support. And there were a lot of just allies in that group, too, which I thought was really cool. Um yeah, so I think maybe looking online for friends that are, you know, similar to you too. I mean, I don't mean looking online, like going to chat rooms and like find random people, but like I really enjoyed like this community that we've built with the podcast and also other people um, just that I've met through the years mentioning my interests, like they're out there, you'll find them and latching on to them and connecting them in that way is so important for your own sanity. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, So there's another question here. I'm also really interested in your experiences being women in the entertainment slash film industry. I even think it'd be cool for you guys to do an episode about the casting couch and women in Hollywood, maybe for Oscar season. We, Mm -hmm. We did talk about that. Um, But for the purposes of this Q&A, what has it been like to exist as a woman professionally in this male-dominated space? Any advice for others looking to join the industry? Would you like to start? Sure. Well, I'm going to speak for myself. I am not a professional actress. I'm not like out working all the time, doing all this stuff. My experience in the industry is not probably what I think most people think an actor's um, experience and it would be. A lot of my experiences that I've had as far as like misogyny uh, have come from school. I've had a lot of, you know, inappropriate uh, behavior from men on set before, both when I was doing extra work and when I was in school and when I've done, you know, some other independent projects and things like that. Um, I've definitely been put in a lot of situations that were not in my best interest, where I trusted people that I shouldn't have, uh, situations where I couldn't you know, where I couldn't just be maybe emotionally disturbed, but also like physically harmed. So I think as far as somebody who wants to go into the industry, you have to really have a strong voice and conviction as to what you're comfortable with, what you want and who you are. Because for me, I was very... um I was very uh, wanting to take on what other people thought that I should be in look and in, you know, the scenes that I chose in school and different things like that, that I let a lot of things happen to me rather than having a lot of agency in the things that I wanted for myself. Um, And I think that's really easy for a lot of young people in the industry because they want to be liked and they want to say yes to everything so they don't miss any opportunities. But I would say um, always put your safety first, always put your comfort first and have really strong convictions, like speak up for yourself and know that even if um, it may not be the most popular thing to say, especially in this industry, there are a lot of people that are going to back you up, especially now that the Me Too movement has happened and things like that. There are people that will support you. Yes. Um, I mean, 
I feel like something that people oftentimes don't talk about, like I recently read an article about how Zendaya uh, refused to take roles last year where her character was acting as kind of like a plot advance device mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for men's for men's stories. Um, kind of like the and manic I, pixie dream girl effect right. thing like that. And I loved hearing that. Um, and that was very cool. However, I feel like oftentimes when we're having this conversation, we're having it through the lens of somebody who's already established and definitely when, and can make those when, choices and can make those choices and has the privilege to be able to make those choices. Most women who are working in the industry or trying to get started in the industry don't have that luxury. Yeah. And what I will say, not to turn anyone off from trying to pursue acting because I love acting. I still love acting, but um, they will try and push you they will try and push your boundaries and they oh, will yeah. try and push you outside of your comfort zone in order to get you to do what they want you to do. Um, and but you need to know how far you're willing to let them take it. Because I think for me, I, I mean, I got myself into, you know, going alone into rooms with men. I didn't know, you know, so many things I, that I, I think put I put myself, myself in, in danger. a lot of very dangerous situations. Yeah. Um, and I think that real weapons on set. Oh, Yeah, I would say that those are good boundaries to put up to know your boundaries before you go in. Really think about it because I didn't. um, And I was very flexible, kind of go with with the flow. It's kind of my personality anyway. um, And then I ended up in situations where I was like, I'm really not comfortable with this, but I'm such a people pleasing type personality um, that it made it very hard for me. Now, for me, it's kind of a tricky question because um, I know that... (laughs) For me personally, a lot of the kind of like things that I've ended up ended up pushing up against as an actor have had more to do with my race than my sex. Yeah. Um, Not to say that I haven't had issues again that I've I've been in very compromising situations directly related to being a woman in the industry. Well, yeah, Um, but but not to be too on the nose. Like you have more intersections of ways for there to be problems um, as far as both, you know, misogyny and racism. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel I really do feel like a lot of what has what has caused me to struggle is because people have a really hard time figuring out where to put me in things because I don't really fit into a box one way or the other. I'm not in the black lead enough. role. That's where they well, should put yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so what I would say is like it, it's it's very layered and nuanced. Um, And I know it's easier said than done, but do set your own boundaries and lean into the things that you like about yourself Mm -hmm. and that make you unique. Yes. Um, Because I feel like we get so caught up in trying to be the ideal that it actually makes us less desirable in the long run. Or trying to fit the box of what other people think that you should be or what you perceive yourself as being. That was my mistake, for sure. It was mine, too. And it was such a a downfall to my mental health as well. And just, I was so, I mean, I mentioned it a little bit ago. I'm such a perfectionist, so I had such an image of what my life and career was going to be. And it's, it's so not that, but I'm... I'm okay with that for now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. This person also asked, I'd also love to hear any advice you might have on still promoting systemic change instead of symbolic change when you feel too small to have that much of an impact. Well, I would say, good question. Um, I would say, try to avoid putting all of that responsibility on your shoulders. Uh, It can get very overwhelming if you look at it that way, as if you are personally responsible um, for making sure all of this large 
big scale systemic change gets done for a systemic change to occur it's going to require all of us acting together so yeah if you feel able run for office on the local level or get involved in local politics i feel like so often we feel like the only thing that matters is this like big federal level stuff like the yeah. presidency but in reality real change starts at home so well that's what i was getting say. involved and you know they this person sounds like they might be a teenager just from mentioning um, their living situation and things like that from another question. So if you were young and you feel like because you're not an adult, you know, you can't vote, you can't make any sort of change, what Keegan just said, like real change starts at home. Just having conversations with people in your life about these different things that interest you, because to me, I feel like that's almost how I've made the most changes, just by having real conversations with those in my life and opening their eyes and minds to thinking a little bit differently or just having conversations even if we don't think the same way. It's just healthy to do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, one more thing that I would like to say about it is that like, if anything good came out of the election of Donald Trump as president, it's the belief that if that guy can do it and he can quote, Mm -hmm. be the president of the United States, you can run for local office. If it's something that you have wanted to do that you felt like maybe you weren't qualified for, you weren't smart enough for, um, or you being involved in other like organizations in your area that have to do with something. I mean, everywhere, even if you're in a small rural town, I feel like there's got to be um, different volunteer organizations that you can be a For part sure. of. Like that, you Absolutely. will find you will find those people um, and be able to make some sort of change. But yes, don't put it on yourself. Like you yourself have to make some big change because like no one person is going to do it. You don't need to put right, that on yourself. Right. Everyone you know? working together in, in small ways. Some of us don't feel called to be in office. Like, I, it doesn't seem like something that I personally would be able to do. No. But other people can and doubt themselves because they don't feel like they have the right education or whatever. Yeah. And, like, if that's how you feel, just go for it. Is go for how it. I, feel. I mean, fuck it. Go for everything. Like, whatever you want to do, just fucking go for it. Who cares? Agreed. All right. Um, okay, Do you want to read the next one? Next question. Favorite new skill slash hobby you've discovered in lockdown? Do you have any, Madigan? No. <laughs> no? I feel like I've done everything at this point. You like, have? I, I mean, I was working for most of the I mean, all my hobbies that I do, I've had since before lockdown. I don't have anything new. Well, I mean, everybody on this podcast knows that I started gardening while in yes. lockdown. I've always baked, but the bread baking game is uh, is up a notch, mm-hmm. um, especially in the early days of the pandemic. I've really just started baking bread again. Um, I've fallen off of working out, but surprisingly, getting started on a fitness routine really helped me, like really helped ground me for a while. And I never thought I would be somebody who actually enjoyed that. Now, listen, I have completely <laughs> fallen off. I have... You okay? <laughs> I'm dying. I don't, I just, I inhaled. <laughs> I don't know, I inhaled as I was swallowing. I don't know how that happened. I just completely, oh my God, you talk for a while. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, what was this? Okay. Um, oh, new hobbies in lockdown. <laughs> I really found myself lacking motivation to work out lately, you know, just because, I've been in a kind of like hard mental place lately and it's just been difficult for me to get up and and work out. And I know that that's more of a reason that you should get up and do it, but you got to do what you got to do. And like, 
for me lately it's been like the extra hour of sleep is more important to me yeah but I do want to get back into it um when I do feel like I have the mental space and motivation so I would say for me it's like gardening baking and actually working out are three things that I've kind of been doing more of in lockdown than I was outside of it definitely awesome all right they also asked favorite feminist icon that's okay really hard <laughs> it, it's, it's very very hard um there are so many of course but I feel like the one that always pops into my brain first and I think like just like Phoebe on Friends when she's like asking the like lightning questions um, that you should just answer the first thing that pops into your head. And so for me, I feel like that is always Angela Davis. Like just this woman who was living with this kind of like confidence and like clarity of vision and bravery. And it's something that I really aspire to because she makes no apologies for her beliefs. And as somebody who's kind of like a chronic people pleaser, that's yeah. super impressive to me that somebody can kind of like live that fearlessly. So she'd yeah. probably be who would I'd pick. For me, it's funny because I've I've learned about so many on the show that I love so much that it's hard for me to pick. But for some reason, and I don't know if this was my very first feminist faves or not, but Audrey Lord will always be Mm -hmm. at the forefront of my mind. I don't know what it is, but like every time I see an Audrey Lord anything, I like save it on my phone or like want to get it at the store. I don't know. I just I feel like maybe because it was toward the beginning of my journey of like really learning about these people in particular and then, you know, telling you all about it that she has just stuck in my mind so well. Um, but there's so many and it, it, it changes based on like my current fascination and in, like what era. Like I went through a huge like Gloria Steinem, Shirley Chisholm phase earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I kind of go through different phases of like what era of feminism I'm interested in. But I think if I were to, again, just like rapid fire answer questions, the first one that comes to my head is Audrey Lord. I love it. Um, Okay, so those were all from Maggie. So thank you, Maggie. Uh, The next question is from Bernadette. It says, what are your guys' thoughts on how feminism and veganism intersect? Madigan? Mm, do, you, my, do you want me to go? No, I can, I can do it because this is actually something that I talk about with my best friend Katie, who is a vegan. We talk about this a lot uh, because she asks me this question as well and will send me things where, you know, the two are tied together. Um, this is a difficult thing for us to answer because we are not vegan. I see a lot of positives to, to both and I see where they intersect. And I definitely know that like a lot of my feminist friends are vegan, which makes me feel really guilty for not doing it. But I know for myself, um, I can't put any restrictions on my diet. I just don't do it. I don't believe in it. Um, I'm recovered from anorexia. So for myself, I don't put any sort of, um, restrictions on my food per se. I do have to say though, I wanted to go vegan a lot because I have a very you can't mention the animal that I'm eating while I'm eating it or else I cannot eat it like I can't the the image in my head is too bad I have to like not think about it Mm -hmm. yeah no I I agree with that I think sustainability is something that all intersectional feminists should be concerning themselves with thank you and (laughs) moving towards a more plant-based diet is a great way to do that and I do think that factory farming is a huge issue that's affecting our climate um and in many respects like it's just downright cruel it's cruel yeah yeah. uh so I mean for myself at least like I have been thinking for a while that I need to start making changes 
to my diet and start reducing my animal product intake moving forward. Right. Just because for me, you know, especially like this last year, I've done so much like meditating and things like that and really wanting to try and come into a more compassionate headspace. And um, it has bothered me that when, same as you, like if somebody tells me what I'm eating, uh-huh. it makes it's 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 hard to eat it then and like that that's a sign to me that there's something that I need to change and then on top of that the impacts that it has on our climate is is not good so I'm I need to reduce it that was a big thing I mean that was a big reason for me to start eating plant-based things and then you know just with getting older um, I have a boyfriend that's a couple years older than me especially you know men's health is a little bit different than women's health too when it comes to different meat products so we've been really trying to eat more vegetable based meals which is great and I love them I've always been more of a a vegetable person than a meat person in general except for things Mm -hmm, like me too I mean I love me some chicken nuggets when I was little but I've always really liked like roasted vegetables and stuff so I I think I could survive being a vegan just fine for the most part but I think that I don't think I would ever identify fully as being right. That. I mean, I I think I could see myself going full vegetarian someday. I think it would be hard for me to give up cheese. That would be very difficult for me. Um, but I I would say like also if you're if you're thinking about going towards veganism or vegetarianism or more plant based diets, um, because of environmental reasons, even just reducing your animal product intake, um, a little bit would help on a massive scale. Like if every single person did a meatless Monday, if yes. every person in America just gave up meat and animal products or yeah. eat not even cheese, but just meat for one day totally. a week, um, it would have massive impacts. So I definitely am in support of anybody who chooses that lifestyle totally. for sure. And I know that for myself, it is something that I want to start incorporating more as I move forward. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's something that I am in full support of and I definitely agree with. I mean, I don't disagree with anything that, you know, veganism, you know, stands for and things like that. It's just not it's not realistic f- for my past and for my life right. for me to and, live and that I way. I understand so, that completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. So this next question is, which was each of your favorite episodes to record and why? And I think that at the same time, we should answer what our favorite types of episodes oh, to record are. Oh, God. Because I, I think we could think about, it. okay, what's like, if we don't know what to record, what do we do? Well, we do feminist faves yeah. if we're not sure what we're going to record. But you know what? And like, here's the thing. I love recording feminist faves. But if I had to say, it's such a hard question because we got this actually quite a bit, this yeah. question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a very hard question for me because I feel like different episodes are different. Like some episodes are very fun to record. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoyed recording our Snow White and Little Mermaid episodes. Like those were fun for me. But others I feel like are really powerful and yes. to record. Oh, like, the Brett Kavanaugh episode will always pop up in my head. Yeah, or like I always think about ones where I learned something, even if it was really heavy, like um, the Reagan and the AIDS epidemic episode, the Black uh-huh. Panthers episode. Um, those ones stick out to me as ones that like, maybe they were hard to do the prep for, but I, in the end, enjoyed doing them. It might feel like the wrong word, but it's like I appreciated that yeah. I got to do them, you know? There's something very cathartic about... um you know, spending a week reading things and researching things and having your own thoughts and opinions on things and then getting together at the end of that time and discussing it with somebody else um, 
there is some it's very cathartic it feels very good mm-hmm. so I understand mm-hmm. when you say you enjoy it because like I thoroughly enjoy recording and talking to you about these things no matter if it's like a really tough topic because I feel like it just the, the support through it and everything it makes it a positive experience so even when it's like really really tough Right. Or is uh, difficult topics or things that make us uncomfortable. I feel like in the end, because we've gone through it and discussed it, it does end up being almost this feeling of like enjoying doing that, you know? Right. Well, and I'm learning something and I just love yeah. learning new things. And it makes me so much more like well versed on that topic moving forward. Yeah. You know? I mean, for me, um, I've always been I've loved autobiographies and biographies since I was very young. So feminist favorite episodes or anything mm-hmm. where I can like focus on like a historical event or something like yes, really specific. Yes. Like historical that. ones for sure. Mm-hmm. I have the hardest time. I know this isn't the question, but I have the hardest time with like the open ended topics that we do um, because I'm like, oh, God. God, like what area are we going to discuss it's or it's mm-hmm. so much harder but when we have like a specific event or person or like very specific idea especially because like Keegan and I even when we were recording in person like we didn't see each other during the week there was no like real conversation of like what we were going to discuss unless there was some insecurity about like hey, like, just to make sure this is what we're, like, talking about, right? And things like right. that, as far as, like, making sure we're on the same page as, um, you know, as far as episode flow goes and everything like that. But, yeah, those are my favorites. Yeah, yeah, Love for them. sure. Love them a lot. Okay, what topic do you want to discuss but you haven't had a chance to yet? There's a lot of them in our sheets like in our I was gonna say that we we have an entire spreadsheet of episode ideas so there are so many topics that we still want to discuss that we haven't discussed yet yeah there's so many that I want to talk about that are like it's timing like it's black history month or if it's you know June for coming out month or you know it's things like that I learn about throughout the year that I put on the list for things that are like for specific times I think that I get the most like excited for Yeah, I think for me, I mean, if I had to say one that comes to mind for me right now that I really want to do that we haven't done yet, and actually we had someone reach out to us a few weeks ago asking for this, um, I would love to do an episode soon talking about purity culture and the modesty myth. Um, I want to do that this year because for me, that's something that is very personal for the way that I was raised and brought up. And I know that a lot of other people, I've had a lot of conversations with people in my life, you know, who have the effects of growing up in that have had real world impacts on them as adults. Um, And so that is definitely something that I would like to tackle this next year if I had to pick one. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because like, I feel like there's so many things that I want to take a deeper dive into. And I don't know if necessarily it's so much just for like one particular episode. But um, I don't know the the things that I'm most passionate about is speaking out for sexual assault survivors, um, you know, the trans community, the LGBTQ plus community, like these are all things that I feel like I'm very interested in constantly educating myself about and making sure that I can be part of a positive change. So I think anything that we discuss that involves that always feels kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, But I'm not looking at the document right now, but I know that there's like, there was something that we want to talk about for Black History Month in particular, and I can't remember what it is, but I I added it recently and I'm really excited about it and I can't remember what it was. Well, you're going to find out soon. Eventually you'll know. And then I'll be like, (laughs) that was the one. 
All right. They also want to know, why did you start the show? They say, I've always wondered this. And I apologize if you already did an episode where you talked about the reason. I think we did answer this in the first one, but we might give a different answer. It's been two years. Yeah, it's been two years. (laughs) How do our memories uh, process it now? Well, I mean... I do feel like this is something that we had talked about for a while. We were both fans of My Favorite Murder. I mean, it seems like it was so long ago now, Mm -hmm. even though it really wasn't. But like podcasts really didn't take off until like maybe three years ago. As whenever they really started to become very mainstream and like every celebrity had a podcast. Yes, exactly. Before that, I mean, My Favorite Murder was one of the only big, big ones. Um and really one of the only big ones where women were the target demographic. Yeah, yeah. Because there was also like Joe Rogan and things like that. But um, we both were fans of My Favorite Murder and we kind of bonded over that. And then we also, I know that I didn't have a lot of like out outspoken feminists in my life and you were one of the only ones that I had that I could talk about these things with. And so I know we spent a lot of time discussing feminist topics and you were like, well, what if we do a podcast together? And yeah, you know, I think we both kind of like, we were like, yeah, that'd be something maybe someday we'd be interested in. Yeah. And then after Donald Trump was elected, tensions were running very, very high. We discussed it on the train ride to an anti Donald Trump march that we went to uh, and then I think I texted you when I got home or the next day and I said, like, you know, that podcast that you you mentioned, like, why don't we do it? Like, yeah, let's just do that. I I've got a notebook paper that I took a picture of where um, I wrote down your angry neighborhood feminist at the top. I didn't I knew I wanted to do some sort of podcast idea with that I know like you and I had discussed how much we loved it but you know I'd also discussed it with some other friends too I actually wrote I wrote a couple different host ideas Keegan at the top like you (laughs) originally this was supposed to be you and I and our friend Ariel yes ended up just being too busy to take it on yes but it was gonna be I mean you guys almost could have had three hosts yeah I mean she was she was on the list um there was a couple other people that you know I because I knew that like, I don't know. It was one of the because I didn't know if you would want to get involved. I didn't know if this was even going to happen. But I have a, like a journal page somewhere. And I wrote like 10 episode ideas. And I wrote like different um, like different goals that I wanted for it and different like ideas that I had as far as like, you know, we always talk about the community that we wanted to build. And why do I want to do this? So I have that somewhere, a picture of it on my phone from when I had just kind of like journaled a bunch of ideas. And then I think you and I had I think that was kind of my brainchild moment of being like, I really want to have something like this in my life. And you and I I mean, you're my number one feminist pal in my life that I've always kept in touch with. Julie, we've been friends for 10 years now. I know. It's it's madness. And it's madness. And we did not all like this is not how we've always been friends. Like these are not topics we've always discussed. These are not this isn't how we've always been. Like we really have grown together in the past 10 well, years. We were so young. We were I so mean, young. Yeah. I mean I was 19. Yeah. You were what? 22? 21? 21. 21. 21. Mm-hmm. Fucking babies. I was sneaking into bars with you guys. Actually when I met you I was 20. I turned 21 after I was already going to school. So, Mm. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, like, I, I I think we get this question later on, so I'll answer it, or I'll acknowledge it again then. But, like, I I do want to 
say to people because I think people ask like how do I start something just do it (laughs) I know that that sounds so simplistic but I think like we held off on doing things because we're like we need to know how to do this we need to Uh know how to do that we're not good enough to be able to get started we don't have xyz it's like just do it buy a a, a cheap usb microphone we totally just kind of winged it like our first couple episodes too we were just like in your kitchen like the sound wasn't very great and Mm -hmm. we were sharing a microphone we were sharing a microphone we were i mean we babbled a lot (laughs) like you know it takes a while for you to kind of get your your feel for what you want your show to be but like yeah, just doing it, I think, is probably the best advice. You'll figure it out yeah. along the way, you know? About almost anything. About almost anything, you're probably more capable than you think you are. Definitely, so definitely. just do it. Um, okay, when was each of your feminist awakening, for lack of a better term, like when did you really start openly calling yourself a feminist and start thinking about and advocating for feminist beliefs? I don't have like an aha moment or anything like that. I mean, I've discussed how... You know, I was raised in a very liberal progressive household, but like not to the point of like what I am now. Like I'm I'm way more than both of my parents, I think, ever were. But I was definitely I grew up in a place that facilitated that kind of like questioning and thinking. But I would say for me, going through treatment and also leaving my abuser that I was with for three years who was incredibly misogynistic and had me believe a lot of really backwards things about women and myself and was very derogatory toward me. So I think once I left that relationship and I was able to kind of start nurturing those beliefs that I had again in myself and in my fellow woman and um, just growing up and seeing more of the wrongs in the world too and and wanting to right them and I don't know like there there was no real moment but I would I want to say probably when I was like 20 21 was when I think I started referring to myself as being a feminist maybe like seven eight years ago yeah I would say I my upbringing is like the opposite yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I I didn't start openly calling myself a feminist until I was an adult so probably in my early 20s, um, I grew up very conservative, very religious. So getting out on my own and meeting people and reading articles really helped me. I did have a coworker in my early 20s. Uh, shout out to Katie Smizer. Haven't talked to her in ages. I have no <laughs> clue where she is because she's not on social media anymore. Um, it's the worst. But she was actually probably like my feminist mentor. She was so patient with me as I was learning. And I always felt comfortable going to her with questions or processing things with her. Then I started kind of frequenting sites like Jezebel, which is kind of controversial among feminists now. Uh, Yeah, at the time, there really wasn't there weren't a lot of other places that you could go. And at the time, they had a very open forum for commenting uh, that has since been kind of like closed off a little bit. But I started engaging in discussions on there and reading comments from other feminists and it started kind of like opening up my worldview. So that's where I would say it really began for me. It's early, probably around the same age as you, like 21, 22, yeah, 23. Yeah. And I think definitely like when I went to college and, you know, where we went to school, it wasn't like you were freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You were in a class with people that were like all your age. You were like with maybe a max of like 14 people and they were all different ages from all different countries, from all different backgrounds. So I think like being 18 and moving immediately from Minnesota to L.A. after my birthday pretty much and being thrown into um such a diverse community, I think, really opened my eyes. And then also, like, meeting the the female friends that I had that really, 
supported me. I mean, Keegan was my, you know, my ex, my abusers, like one of his biggest nightmares, because whenever I would like speak my mind he'd be like is this Keegan or Ariel speaking and I'd be like no it's me god damn it but like you know it's having those friends and those girls in your life and that you know have supported me and helped me see my own worth and value that I think has also made me gravitate more toward um loving myself and loving my fellow woman and wanting to make more changes in the world to make people feel good you know yeah yeah so all of those questions were from Maeve and Maeve also says that uh, could you do more forgotten feminist faves? I love them and have listened to all of them, I believe. And yes, Maeve, not to worry. Uh, we are hoping and planning to do at least one a month yes. moving forward because we did notice that, and you know, it's weird in the beginning of when we started this podcast. Those were the least popular. And when we look at our analytics now, we see that people actually really enjoy those. So mm-hmm. we will be doing those more going forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we do we do hear you. We've gotten a lot of requests for feminist faves and things like that. So there will definitely be plenty more of them in your future. Not to worry. All right. These next questions are from Basha. And they ask, what are each of your favorite childhood movies? Keegan, what is my favorite childhood movie? Uh, oh, You're shitting me right now. Thank you. I don't know why in my you, you put me on the spot. I was very scared. I was prepared to answer my own question. I wasn't ready <laughs> to answer yours. I was about to just like disown you as my friend. Get out. Jeez. I'm, I'm canceling the FaceTime call. We're done. <laughs> Sorry, I've I had mean, some wine tonight. <laughs> I, I Look, no judgment over here. Honestly, I would say that the movie that I watched the most as a child was either like these movies I watched on repeat. Like I wore these VHS tapes out. Yeah. It was either Nightmare Before Christmas. <gasps> mm-hmm, all the time. Love. On repeat. Love. Like watch, rewind, watch again. Didn't see it until um, I was an adult and, fe- and I'm obsessed with it. I can't believe I it. never saw it as a kid. Obsessed. Um, Aladdin or and everybody needs to brace themselves. <gasps> The VHS of Cats the Musical on Broadway. Yes. Wait, I, I knew that it. about you. I did uh, know yeah. that about you. Still own it. It's in my living room entertainment cabinet right now. I I get it. I understand that people are going to make fun of me for this. No. But as a kid, I was obsessed with this show. I feel you so strongly. Not be, not Cats. Like, Cats, no. Um, but <laughs> I had a... I think it was a TV recording of uh, the live. It was like the live action Peter Pan. What was the woman's name? She looked so much like Julie Andrews uh, in The Sound of Music, but it wasn't her. It was like a blonde Peter Pan. It's totally <laughs> inappropriate because there's a blonde Tiger Lily. Um, but that was another one that I like recorded on TV and watched a lot. And the other one, my first... I think The Lion King was probably my favorite as like a little, little kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there were other ones. I was notorious for like watching and rewatching movies. That's what I did. So like the old um, Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood with the foxes. I was obsessed with that as well. Like I, so there were movies like that. But I would say that those three, Nightmare Before Christmas, Aladdin and Cats, the musical on Broadway, those three I, I watched repeatedly obsessively of course my movie taste changed as I got into like middle school and high school but as a child like elementary school age 
It'd probably be those. Yeah. yeah. So they also want to know what our favorite childhood memories are. And mine, I was going to answer for the above, but it's going to kind of bring it down into this one. So I also, like, I grew up on MGM musicals. So all the Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney movies, all of Judy's films, really. Uh, I love Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Like, all of those people were, like, my idols. So some of my best childhood memories were putting on performances for the people that I loved or just for my my home movie camera at home in my basement I set up a like a little curtain and a stage and I would wear wigs and different skating costumes or dance costumes and perform um full-on musical numbers from MGM musicals like full-on Judy Garland performances I would make my friends do them with me so that was a big one and then also because especially this week with nationals having happened over the weekend pretty much all of my childhood memories take place in an ice rink so uh Anything that has to do with being at a rink and competing and jumping and flying and going really fast, like that's kind of when I think of my childhood, it kind of just smells like an ice rink. So it's either singing and performing or it's being on the ice. That's it. I hear you. (laughs) I think for me, um, every summer, speaking of Lion King, every summer when I was a kid, my mom, my older brother and I, we would road trip from Las Vegas Nevada to New Mexico uh, and we would listen to the Lion King soundtrack on cassette tape like constantly yeah. like have it in listen to it flip it over listen to it um, and we'd split the summer between my mom's mom who lived in this really tiny rural town called Estancia New Mexico very very small small town um, and then my dad's parents who lived in Albuquerque and my black family my dad's family would oftentimes take us and like all of our cousins of which I have like dozens um would take all of us in a van very unsafely not everybody buckled up so 90s yeah yeah how many times did you sit in like the back of an suv facing the wrong way looking at the cars driving toward you i mean so many times it, it the danger of the situation like we went from new mexico to florida and there were way too many people in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was not a thing oh, where we were all secured. I know that line. Um, <laughs> but like we went on a lot of road trips, and I think that like when I look back on my childhood, I think that and just the fact that we had this kind of like free range thing going on where we could just be outside. Like my brother and I would just play together, and my mom had that kind of like come back when the streetlights are on yeah yeah sort of thing Love which it. i feel like doesn't exist so much anymore we i had, mean especially not where where we live maybe back in like our hometowns a little bit more maybe but i mean there is something different about like we're solidly millennials yeah, yeah. And so we kind of straddle this line between an analog childhood and a digital childhood as we got older yeah, but yeah. when i was a young kid it was like we didn't have the internet I mean we had the internet but we didn't have like social media I had a swing set that in fifth grade I had my best friend Alexis over all the time and oh my god we would spend four hours I think just in my like little jungle gems jungle gym swing set thing that we had in the backyard and that's all we needed and I would play right make believe was my shit like I would play dogs I would play like Mm -hmm. um and you know I feel like that is lost (laughs) it's lost somewhat now you know um, I still I've so got to look I've back fondly give you some, with that. I've got to give you some hope though because I've got to say if you get a screen in front of kids, yes, they will watch it. But I do have to say, being a nanny and overlooking a lot of playdates, you'll be surprised how much imagination these kids 
can still have if you just don't put them in front of a screen first. I'm I'm impressed that there's still so much creativity in these kids and the crazy things that they think of like T liked it more when I made him a toy out of a cardboard box than when I would go and buy him something you know there's those little things that I feel like are still there that we have to connect with 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 the youths of today you know they like they like the vintage stuff you know yeah it's all for vintage sure. now the next question is thing you think you can do to improve your activism personally So for myself, I know that I need to do a better job of taking care of my mental health so that I can have the mental and physical energy that I need and stamina that I need to do the work that's necessary. Um, It's good to take breaks. It's important to take breaks. But if you constantly find yourself getting overwhelmed, I think it's important to find ways of coping that allow you to stay engaged and like stay in the fight. Um, also, I do want to take my own advice from earlier and become more involved in activism on a local level. Yeah. I think that it's important that I do that because I think oftentimes I feel like because I'm doing this podcast and I am so busy, like I truly am very, very you busy. You are one of the most busy people that I know. Yeah. <laughs> that I feel like I can convince myself that that's enough. But in reality, like there is stuff on the local level that I can and should be doing. So, yeah. yeah. For me, I think the biggest thing that I constantly need to remind myself is, is to listen better. I have, I've always been a talker. I've always been one to want to share my experiences and talk about my experiences. But as I've gotten older, I've learned more and more that I need to get better and better at, uh, listening and just sitting. And I think also, uh, being a white cisgender woman, something that I constantly need to be aware of is, acknowledging my privilege and using it in a way that's going to be beneficial for other people, but also not in a way that is going to be stepping on the toes of the people that can do things better than me. You know, it's finding that line of how I can be a good ally and how I can be an advocate and support the causes that I care about where I'm not part of that community, but also be somebody that can use the fact that I am, you know, a white cisgender woman to amplify those voices in any way that I can or to show those voices in any way that I can. So for me, that's always something else important. Yeah, totally. Number six is plans for the future. Oh, God, if only I knew. I have no idea. I can't tell you what I'm doing tomorrow, honestly. And I think... Oh. I think... <laughs> I interpreted this question as our plans for the oh, future. Oh, I thought it was like, Madigan, what's like, your plans the for the podcast. future? I'm like, fuck. I mean, no, no. do we want to say? Yeah, I think so. So we we are working on getting a Patreon going. Um, if that's something that you're interested in, please let us know what kind of bonus content you would like to see. Yeah, I mean... I've definitely got, can I say what, I, what I'm planning on doing regularly sure, on Patreon? Sure, yeah. So I've gotten a lot of people reaching out wanting me to continue the Bad Girls series, and especially because I have so much more time on my hands than Keegan does. I let her know that that would be something that I'm totally into doing and putting more of my effort into. I think I have five episodes <laughs> written already. <laughs> I haven't recorded a single thing, but it's been that's been a really positive thing for me to like focus on and work on uh, for myself and having... I don't know. I'm I'm super excited. I feel like we have a lot of things in store right now that we've been talking about. And we talked on the phone a couple days ago. And I felt really positive after that of goals and ways that we can make this more part of our lives. You know? Yes. Yeah, for sure. We we, def- we definitely have things that we are planning on doing. And Patreon is one of those. Uh, and we're also working on merch. But like for both of these things, for Patreon and merch, like, you know, 
it's work. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, it, it is a lot of work. We're happy to do it. We love to do it. We really enjoy this, but we would love to know if you're interested in it because if the interest is there, like if you guys are like, yes, I would love to have merch. I would love to join a Patreon and get that bonus content or whatever. Yeah. Please let us know that so that we know what kind of interest is out there yeah. and we know what you guys are looking for and, as we well. We can give exactly what you want. You know, right. it's great. Yeah, totally. Oh, right. Well, I'm going to read this okay. question because I don't have I didn't write a favorite social justice quote. I totally forgot about this. So, Keegan, what is your most powerful social justice quote? This one was a bit hard for me because okay. I feel like there there are a few. And um, one of them that I was reminded of today, actually, because I posted it the day after the election in 2017 mm. or the day after the inauguration rather the mm-hmm. day after the inauguration and it was an Audrey Lord quote and it was when I dared to be powerful to use my strength in the service of my vision then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid and to me when I first heard that it stirred me so deeply because like again I feel like this is a recurring thing that I keep saying but I do not like causing conflict yeah and it makes me very fearful to be open and vocal about my beliefs and more the more often that I can really focus on my end goal what do I want to achieve what's really important to me it does help you to become less and less fearful yeah of of what other people are going to say what other people are going to think it takes the personal out of it a little bit when you focus on the goal rather than your own feelings and emotions surrounding it when you when you take it outside of yourself it becomes less it becomes less scary yeah Yeah. absolutely and then the other one which is a bit of a cliche but for me when I was in like the baby baby stages of my activism Uh uh-huh and and one that I find myself repeating over and over in my head that has become a very mainstream you will see it on signs at every single (laughs) you know rally or protest you go to and it is if you are neutral in situations of injustice you have chosen the side of the oppressor and that is Desmond Tutu and I I do repeat that in my it goes along with this Audrey Lord quote yep. because I I have this silence as compliance, I, you know, like you right, have to I, be loud enough. Not wanting to make waves and not wanting to cause conflict and staying neutral in situations because you don't want to make those waves. It it's not neutrality is a stance and it is a decision and you are you are choosing a side yep. even if you feel like you're not. Yep. And so that one is a big one for me. And those are all from Basha, yeah. I would have to agree. All right, do you want to read the next question? Okay, so this one is from Kayla, and it says, um, I just wanted to ask about how you met. I have such a hard time finding other gal friends that have similar mindsets in terms of feminism slash politics, etc. Well, we didn't meet because of that. And that wasn't we even part of our friendship for a while. Um what I recall of how we met, so I was dating a guy briefly uh, who was really good friends with, uh, did he meet you first or did he meet your ex first? Because he was really good friends with your ex. He met me first because we went to school together. Right. We all went to school together uh, and then it was through me. We all went to a party, I think, is probably what happened. Okay. It's probably a college party. Because I like remember hearing a lot about 
like you and your ex and he was like we're gonna go hang out with them and I was like okay cool we spent so much time yeah 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 and um I remember the first time we hung out we were in your hot tub Mm-hmm. Yes. And I don't yeah. I, I it's just so funny. Like we're we are not with either of those guys anymore. That guy that I was dating, I think I was with for like maybe two months, if that. But it's funny how like those little things bring you to people. And I don't know. I don't know how we started to hang out a lot. There was a point in time where I was like picking you up from work and we were spending pretty much every day together for like a summer yeah, um, but I don't really I don't know. know how that happened where like we met and then suddenly it was like you were taking care of me when I was drunk. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think it's funny, especially when you're in your early 20s, the way that those connections can be made. And especially when you're two people who are not natives to a place. And when you find a connection with somebody and you feel like, you know, we can we we have a bond you you want to cling to that person and you want to not cling but you want to like yeah you want to be around that person more I mean and it wasn't like you know we didn't discuss any sort of politics or feminist stuff or anything it was just I really I just really really liked you I don't know I thought you were great it's funny I feel like we grew on our feminist journey separately and then intersected them later is what I really feel like happened there well and it's funny because like we've you know in the past 10 years that we've known each other we haven't constantly been in communication like you know we have different friend groups we have different things going on in our lives but we've always gotten together at like multiple times during the year where we see each other and I feel like we've always been very close and had a really good understanding of each other that has helped us kind of go through not only just being friends with each other, but also going through this whole process of having a podcast together, just having a good foundation of not even so much of like what our beliefs were, but the fact that we so we grew together, but not we just kind of grew at the same time. I I agree. You know, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to kind of like bring it back to Kayla's question sorry like, you no, no for sure like she asked how we met that that's how we yeah. met but as far as like having a hard time finding friends with similar mindsets I mean I think we addressed that a little bit earlier but also what I would say kind of bringing it back to the way that Madigan and I met don't be afraid to be yourself and bring up topics that are important to you around new people because yes you will have people who disagree with you and you'll have people who want to pick fights with you but you also never know if you'll meet somebody who actually is like me too and connects and like that's how you can find can find friends and it's scary to do that but I would encourage you to do that. I think being open and vulnerable is the most important thing to finding friends. All right so Jason sent us a question asking what is your favorite thing you've learned about yourself while doing the podcast? This was hard. I spent a lot of time delaying because I actually like I wrote out some of my answers and I I spent a lot of time delaying answering this one because I had a hard time with it. But I would say when I really got to thinking about it, that the favorite my favorite thing that I've learned about myself is that I can actually stick with something and follow through um, if it's something that I'm really passionate about, because, you know, Not that I feel like I always feel like such a like asshole when I talk about this, but like I do I work 40 hours a week. I sometimes record four to five podcast episodes a week, depending on the week. Yeah. Uh, And then I'm editing the podcast and I'm doing other things on top of that. I've got theater things going on and somehow I've managed to do all of that and maintain like personal relationships and my sanity. I'm impressed. For the most part um, for the last three years. And I haven't given up Mm -hmm. on it. And that's something that I feel like 
I can be very proud of because I feel like I am apt to start things and be very excited about it in the beginning and then let it fall off or fall by the wayside. And um, I didn't do that. And so I think that that's kind of something I've proved to myself that like I can... Yeah. Follow through with something if I care about it enough. I mean, it's you know? kind of the same answer for me. I had your angry neighborhood feminist was a slogan that popped into my head randomly and I didn't know what I wanted to use it for or what it was, but that's just how I referred to myself. It was kind of just a joke on like your friendly neighborhood Walmart or whatever, you know. Um, so for me, having it be something that was just thought of in my brain, a random slogan and that I was able to think of something creative that I wanted to make that actually happened and the fact that people actually listen to it and care about it and want to talk to us about it like all of that shows me that you know the ideas that I have are valid and they're good and um that I should trust myself more with my instincts of the projects that I want to start and actually stick with them you know and again and again to just do it yep just like Nike says you know just do it just do it Mm. okay and this is from I don't know the name, but it is at iRayan. I'm guessing that Rayan is the name, but on on Instagram. Yes, this but is, yes. A, a, at A-Y-E-R-E-Y-A-N on Instagram. Hi, I love your podcast. Can you guys talk about your education backgrounds and how did you get the courage to start this? I'm starting with Feminist Gender Club at my college and I'm so nervous. Ooh, all right. So what are what are what's my education background? My education has nothing to do with this. Um same. <laughs> Keegan and I both went to the same school for acting. I have a bachelor's degree in acting for film. I started out in voiceover. That's why podcasting was so intriguing to me because it seemed like a more sustainable way for me to control my voiceover career. Um so that's kind of how I got into just podcasting in general for my own personal like career choices. Um yeah, that's it. Um, I'm a dummy with a degree. Yeah, I my like my education has really nothing to do with with where we ended up. But as far as like how we got the courage to start this, I think we kind of answered that already, which is just there is no right time. Yeah. If you're waiting for the right time to start something, there is no right time. You should just do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and you will make mistakes. And your sound quality, if you're trying to start a podcast, will be very bad in the beginning. And, that's, and you know uh, what? There, But there are still going to be people... Like, we have listeners from the beginning that were so willing to put up with those things and be so kind and encouraging like we have so many people at the yeah, very beginning that were just so lovely that helped us along it's the way totally too. okay like just i understand that it is very scary especially if you have family that doesn't support you or you don't have a support system at home but just trust yourself trust the process yep. and just do, do it. it yeah and as far as you know having a gender club at your college first of all i think that's amazing of you for starting that i applaud you so heavily for doing that and i'm going to reiterate what i said earlier vulnerability is your greatest asset as long as you are vulnerable and you are willing to share your experiences and be open with other people they're going to be want to be open with you too so that's my for biggest sure. piece of advice all right, I'm going to read this question. I'll, I'll answer my response real quick, and then I'll, I'll give the floor to Keegan. But this next question is from Renee, and they're asking, did you receive any pushback from friends and family when we started kind of voicing our feminist views? 
Um, I've been asked to be less feminist in family events many times. Exactly. But yeah, so as far, it's never been anything that's like super hurtful from friends and family. I've, I've definitely lost some friends and family over um, just my own boundaries with the things that I believe in certain discussions that I've had. But for the most part, uh, everybody that I care about in my life has been nothing but supportive for me. So yeah, I mean, so the question is, did you receive any pushback? And how did you handle it? So I was in my early 20s when I really started leaning into feminism and learning about it. And I don't get pushback from my family so much as I get like passive aggressive disapproval. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think in the beginning they probably thought this was just a phase I was going through and now they're more likely to blame the fact that I live in California. Yes, my dad has actually called that. Oh my God. Called it that to my face. California. Oh my dear. Oh my dear. I'm going to start calling it that. that my my family kind of blames the fact that I moved here for my progressive beliefs. Now, as far as how I handle it, it, it's hard when you're dealing with family because like there's a lot of love there still and they're your family. Uh, I I will push back on issues. I have absolutely pushed back on issues. Things have gotten heated with family members, but generally it will end in someone, usually my mom saying that there's no need to like take it there and ending the conversation and moving on. Um, More often that's how it ends. You know, we would love to see it. I think we have this very romanticized vision in our head of like it ending differently and people finding common ground. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it's as common as people think it is. No, and you have to meet people where they're at. And we say that in terms of, you know, when people are new to activism and feminism, we talk about that a lot. But I think in terms of just everybody in general, you have to meet them where they're at because not everybody has the knowledge and the understanding that we do. So just because we're saying things that seem very, very logical to us doesn't mean that they are the realities of the people that you're speaking to. So you have to be you have to be patient right. and it's hard. It's sometimes hard to ride the line between holding on to your integrity and also your compassion. Yes, like that's yes, very yes, difficult. Yes. And like um, you want to not compromise on your integrity, but at the same time understand that like you're not ever going to win anybody over by telling them how stupid they no, are. Never, like it's yeah. never going to work. So like you, you don't want to just let shit fly because like that's not okay. But you also don't want to push in a way that's like, so aggressive yeah. that people I mean, pull the other way. I think finding commonality is something that just popped into my head from when we did the red pill episode a long time ago. There was that, remember the woman with like the really red hair that was like yelling yes. at the men's rights activists and stuff, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't know, I don't remember what she said, but that image just popped into my head. But I remember that she was saying like, look, we're fighting for you too. And I think that there's different ways of going about it, obviously. But I think when you start playing into their own narrative a little bit as well like hey look I hear you when you say these things and that makes me upset too just so you know like we're not on opposite sides of the aisle here I hear you there I'm not you know yeah exactly yeah yeah. and everybody again also has to know where to draw their lines like I I have been able to deal with it with my family but what I've always said is I'm like look man if my family were straight out Nazis at that point, you got to walk away. Yes. Like you, you, you have to, there has to be a line somewhere yeah. and you have to know where that line is. 
Uh, okay, so both of these next two questions from Liz and Atlas are both period-related questions. Yes. So I'm going to do them both at once. Mm-hmm. So Atlas asks, do you like period panties? I'm getting a pair in the mail soon. Love your show and you guys so much. You're such an inspiration for me in my life. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh, my God. And then... And then Liz asks, I was wondering why you don't move to the menstrual cup. I listened to your period episode, and I'm sure many girls around America see you as an inspiration. Oh, <laughs> my God, stop. Uh, I also know menstrual cups are not for everybody, but definitely one of the best options for women and for the planet at this moment. Yes. Okay, so um, menstrual cups, first and foremost, I'm going to say I've tried I leak. I don't, the suction doesn't work. I can't do the twist thing where it like sticks. So every time I've used a menstrual cup, I have leaked very, very badly. As if you've listened to the period episode, you know how horrible my periods are. It's kind of the same thing with period panties for me. Um, I don't have the money to buy multiple pairs of period panties or to wash them frequently with the quarters that I have in my laundry system. Um, But I want a pair of period panties more than anything. Like I think I'm going to ask for that for my birthday this year from people and just see how many pairs... I get in the mail because it would, especially when I'm sleeping, I wear a tampon, a pad, and two pairs of underwear to sleep. Right. So period panties actually would be beneficial for you. Would be huge for me. I mean, just to Mm -hmm. catch the leaks and things like that. But I also um, have issues with my innards. So sometimes having things inserted or inside of me can be painful. So if I could have protection on lighter days or I wouldn't have to have something inside of me, that would be wonderful. Um, So yeah, there's my answers to those two. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I don't like the idea of period panties. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I spent the first several years of my period wearing pads, Mm. and I was so uncomfortable in them, and something about period panties make me feel like it's similar. They're not supposed to be, and this is the thing that I think people don't understand, because they sell period panties like they're supposed to, like, soak everything up. They're not supposed to be like pads. Like you should still so what have. Do, they do I think it's supposed to be for like, I don't know. Maybe certain brands are better than others, but like I've looked at some brands on Amazon and stuff where they say that you should still have some sort of like protection with you on. Okay, I mean, well then, I think it's like a leak. Okay. Is it a leak guard thing? Maybe it's for like when you have lighter periods. Because for me, I would never just wear period See, panties. That's that would be a disaster I, for me. That's always what I thought they were, and that was always a turnoff for me. So maybe yeah. I need to do my research on them because I don't like the idea of – I know they're supposed to be absorbent, but even when I wore pads, I just didn't like the idea of, like, sitting on it. Um, yeah, pads now, claim to be absorbent, and they're not. Now, menstrual cups. So I've always been turned off by menstrual cups. Just the idea of getting it in correctly uh, and and all of that has, has turned me off. However – I feel like maybe this is the year that I need to try them because I feel like a lot of people have recommended yep. them. And again, going along with the question about veganism, I do feel like I am called to yeah. try and live a more sustainable lifestyle. So I think I will give it a shot this year. I have an alternate option because the cup was hard for me for suction. And I did mention this at the end of the period episode, but I was new to them. So I couldn't really give you a full review. But I used the soft cups, which these are, you do throw them away, but you use them for 12 hours. And it kind of looks like it's like a plastic you know, circle, ring, and then it's got almost like a shallow condom-esque piece of plastic in it. And 
you just pinch it and shove it up there and kind of stick it right above your pubic bone. It's really easy to get in and out. And you can buy ones that are reusable. So I think the cup for me was really difficult, but this kind of longer circular contraption has worked a lot better. So that could be another option too. Yeah, I'm willing to try either. And I think I will this year and I will report back because I do want to practice what I preach and try and live a more sustainable lifestyle in the ways that I can. Yeah, but I mean, after um, that's a good way to do it. Using tampons for the last 14 years, it's just it's the. Sometimes it's hard to change when it's so easy to just do the thing you've always done, you know? Right. I mean, and if people have listened to the period episode, they know that, like, I am in the worst mental and physical state whenever I am on my period. And the last thing I want to do is try and learn or adjust to something new. Um, Yeah. I could just see if if I put in a cup and I couldn't get it out I would cry like I would literally be a mess you don't have to worry about that your pelvic muscles are stronger than you think because the first time I put one in I had to cut the stem really short because I have a really I have a very small everything inside of me is small um so I had to cut the thing completely off you just bear down like you're gonna take a shit and it comes out you just pinch it and bloop you're good yeah I no, I I know that I'm just saying I don't want to try something new because like I'm I'm hesitant to try something new because if if anything goes wrong, I'm so fragile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At that time, the world that is I will end. lose my mind. Yeah. yeah so, but I, I am going to try it. I, I am willing to try it. So, thank you for those questions. All right. So, here are some movie questions. They, uh, Rita and Harsha, would like to know first of all, what are our opinions on the new Mulan live action movie, also the new Aladdin live action movie and then Harsha wants to know what our favorite problematic old Hollywood movie is. So let's first talk with the new kind of live action Mulan and Aladdin. Do you want to talk about that, Keegan? Sure. So I mean, I haven't seen either. Really? So I can't. I have not oh, seen well, them. I've seen Aladdin. I, I have Disney. I have Disney Plus, but I have not seen them. So I can't really comment on the films themselves. But I do know that they both received their fair amount of criticism. Yeah. I know that there was a boycott Mulan um, movement uh, because the the star of the film sided with the Hong Kong police instead of the pro democracy mm. protesters in Hong Kong. Uh, and and I I learned this after she asked this question. Um, that part of the movie was filmed in areas where Muslims are being persecuted in China. Oh my so I know that there was a lot of criticism surrounding that. So I, I haven't seen them, so I can't really give a take. Yeah, I mean, when I saw the Aladdin live action movie, it wasn't so much of, I was not thinking of it in a feminist lens. I was more so thinking of it in a, like someone who loves film, having a stronger role for Jasmine in the film, giving her a very powerful song, making her, I mean, Jasmine has always been a very strong-willed Disney princess, so giving, just kind of amplifying that more in the film, I think was really, really wonderful. Um, Keegan, do you have a favorite problematic old Hollywood movie? Well, okay, so Harsha says that their favorite problematic old movie is The Philadelphia Story. I mean, what I wrote in my notes is all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I grew up on the classics. I specifically adored anything that was like Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. This uh, is why we love each other. Yeah, I watched uh, basic. I had a whole wall that was just old movie stars printed Mm -hmm. out and pasted in a collage Mm -hmm. all over my wall. So I I loved these movies. I still enjoy these movies. Swing Time with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers is one of my favorites. Um, But as far as like pointing to one that's problematic, I mean, they all are. Um, It's either subtle racism, like 
White Christmas, which only gave parts to black people who were in service roles. Uh, It's the only time you see them is when they're serving or overt racism like Gone with the Wind. Well, Gone with the Wind was Um, actually my answer because I watched that movie. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast where I've seen long movies or movies that I should have never seen because it was raining at the cabin and I could just grab any VHS that they had in there. My parents had no idea what I was watching. So I saw, you know, Fargo when I was really young, Jaws when I was really young, Gone with the Wind was one of them. And this movie is like four hours long. And I... I hated this movie. I'm not going to lie. I loved it. I liked classics. I loved classics. Even for me, I, I saw it when I was like 12 and even then it was too racist. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. See, no, no. I think I saw that movie for the first time when I was probably only maybe seven years old, seven, eight years old, like very, very young. I saw it on my own, just sitting my my little ass on the floor with my face in front of the television that was super, super tiny. Um, and I and I loved it. I was totally transfixed by by the filmmaking itself, by the acting, by the very over the top. You know, I loved the pinching of the cheeks, learning that that's how they made their cheeks blush. Um, I loved the writing of it. Like I was very captivated by it as a kid. Now I rewatched it when it came to AMC as like a re-release in like the theaters uh, with a friend of mine. And I wanted to leave halfway through. I was bored. I was offended. <laughs> I don't know what and, I saw in it, but I the loved other it thing, as a kid. And my friend Sienna, if she's listening, she, I watched it with her and she loves that movie. And so I want to tell her I love her so much. And this is no slight on her. But I hated that movie. It was too long. I thought it was racist. And also Scarlett O'Hara is terrible. She's a terrible person. Oh, she's terrible. (laughs) But, you know, but that's the the thing is I think I was young enough when I saw it and I was so used to that like style of the very over the top that I knew I, I knew she was an awful person. But I think it was the fact that she was so over the top that I was like transfixed by it. I mean, not even so much that, but it was it was the the fantasy that they created, especially during that time when things weren't really based in reality in in filmmaking and in movies that I think the the whole picture of it when I was young was was something that I gravitated toward but as I was older obviously I found it incredibly boring and slow and racist so no shade to anybody who still likes that movie (laughs) but there's where we feel um and yeah I mean I would say look we talk about problematic faves all the time I still enjoy a lot of these movies um and we've talked about a lot about the racism but I mean all of these movies are pretty much overtly sexist as well they're incredibly sexist uh so you you watch them with that understanding of knowing what you're watching Judy Garland did blackface once you know, uh, yes. you've got to... Yeah. So did Fred Astaire. So did Fred Astaire. There's a lot of things so. that are hard to swallow, but with mm-hmm. for the two of us being how we are and loving them, yeah, it's... We've probably it's, got it, a lot of those problematic faves in that. Like any other problematic yeah, fave. Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, okay, so these questions are, are from Anya, and the first one is, what qualities do you admire in people? Authenticity. That's a good one. I I mean, I would say what I said earlier for myself, at least. And so this is the same thing that I would want from other people. And that is both compassion and integrity. Those are the two things that I feel like I admire the most in people, their ability to be empathetic and compassionate, um, but also uncompromising about the things that are most important to them as human beings. Yeah. So Keegan, what advice would you give yourself back in 2016? I would say 
don't worry too much about what other people think. People are always going to have something to say and you're never going to be liked by everybody. So try your best. Be open. Be honest. Be willing to change or adjust when needed. But never let other people dictate how you move forward because I think that was something that was hard for me. The more you put yourself out there, the more people are going to have things to say. Yeah. And um, no matter how hard you try, no matter how amazing you are, some people are just not going to like you. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's it. That was hard for me. That's it. Yeah. I would say for myself, sometimes the things that appear to be the scariest or the hardest times in your life are probably the things that are going to benefit you most yeah you know I think that the things that I was the most scared of in 2016 and the things that I held dearest to me in 2016 are not necessarily the same things that I have now so I think realizing it through the lapse of time and growth um, you'll come to learn that the things that seem really difficult for you at the time and seem scary are actually going to help you I mean just being scared of our political climate and having it turned into something so positive uh, as this show, it just it shows me there that, you know, giving it time and your passion is going to make everything OK. Oh, my God. I love the way this next question is worded. I think this is how I'm going to start every sentence from now on. Do you want to read it? <laughs> sure. So this is from Katharina. And it says, for all the astrology girls, gays and theys out Woo! there, what's your sun, moon and rising? Any spicy placements? Thank you for your wonderful podcast and for being a part of my and other people's lives. I have a book where I have all this written down and I forgot to grab it before you recorded. So give me one second. OK, so I did my birth chart just for you, Katharina. And... Um, my sun sign is Pisces, though I am on the cusp since Aries starts the day after my birthday. So my birthday is March 20th. Aries starts on March 21st. So it is kind of interesting because they are on opposite sides of the zodiac. It's Pisces, Aries. Uh, my moon is in Capricorn and my rising is Taurus. And I'm going to be honest, I read a little bit, but I don't totally know what that means. So if any of you astrology heads want to read my chart for me, my birthday uh, and time is March 20th, 1990 at 7.39 a.m. So wow, early riser coming out of your mouth. So if anybody wants to read my chart, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Have at it. DM us with what you find out because I read it and I was like, yeah, I feel like that tracks for the most part. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if it's spicy per se. Yeah. Okay, so my moon is in Scorpio, and my rising is in Libra, and my sun sign is Cancer. My birthday is July 9th, 1992. I was born at 12.45 p.m. Central Time. That's all the information I can give you. In St. Paul. In St. Paul, Minnesota. Well, yeah, Central Time, right? Or do you have to know the actual, like, specific city? I think they want you to know the city. Like when you do it online, you have to enter the city. In. Okay. So I don't, again, I don't understand the relevance of all of these things, but I it's mean, something I guess about it where be... the stars were above yeah. where you were. I mean, that makes sense. I've yeah. got to say, so this is a new thing for me. And I think if I had done that recently, because I was really into it, like in the beginning of quarantine and now I can't really remember much of it. But um, as far as my sun sign goes, like just being a cancer, if you read what that means, that's me. You will understand everything you need to know about me if you read that. <laughs> I feel like I'm a Pisces, um, but again, I'm on the cusp of Pisces Aries. I feel like I am a Pisces, except for that one, 
I feel like a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about Pisces being very, very fragile, uh, which I, I don't think is necessarily the case. I think Pisces are very empathetic, uh, but I don't necessarily think they're fragile. And then the other thing that you see very commonly with Pisces is that they're all introverts and they don't like being out. Well, that's and, not you. Like for me, that doesn't apply. Yeah. Uh, so... Anybody who knows about astrology, feel free to read our charts and send us an email or a DM. We'd be happy to look at that. If someone could give me an in-depth, anything to do with like tarot cards or like readings of any kind, astrology, like I I don't know how much I like totally believe in it, but anything that could help me learn more about myself, I am so down for. Like I just love it. I think it's fun. Like I don't like it when people shit on astrology. No, because it's uh, whatever because It's fun. And that's how I feel. Yeah. I think it's it's fun. And like, it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to believe in it to enjoy it. Yeah. And enjoy doing it. So thank you. That was a great yeah. question. All right. Do you want to read the next one? Okay. This is from Nani. And it says, growing up, me and my two younger brothers would constantly ask ourselves this. And I still t- sometimes like to play with the thought today. So my question is, what would you do if you won the lottery? As in at least a few million dollars. Okay, because I'm in such a shitty place financially, the only thing I can think of is like paying off any debts I have, putting a shit ton of it into savings. And then besides that, I think I would want to get just like something for Max and something for my mom that they would really, really want that would make them really happy. And then other than that, I think I would like save it or like put it in like a 401k and some investments Mm-hmm. I'm boring. Yeah. You know, I don't know. No, I, I think those are good answers. So this is really funny because Anthony and I just played the Powerball and the Mega Millions. Woo! And we just spent, we spent at least an hour. We wrote it down. Like we spent at least an hour working out how we would spend the money mm-hmm. if we won. Uh and I would definitely give a significant portion to charity. So especially if you won something like the Mega Millions. So right now the Mega Millions is at like nine hundred million. Oh my god! Yeah. And no one needs, no one needs that much yeah, money. I so would give at least half to charity. I would give so much of that away. Right. So I'm so used to being poor. I don't need money. That's the thing. I wouldn't know what to do right. with it. <laughs> yeah. So there are a lot of theaters and arts programs that have had a really hard time since COVID hit. So I would donate specifically here in Los Angeles to the NoHo, the North Hollywood Arts District has really been struggling because all of the theaters in North Hollywood have had to shut down. So I would donate a good amount to that. Um, I would donate to charities that work with the unhoused populations here in Los Angeles. And outside of that, I would buy a house. I would start a podcast network. I would put as much money as I could into the Black Arts Alliance that I'm working Mm -hmm. on. And then whatever is left over would go to savings and investments and to friends. Yeah, I mean, another little like insight into my life, like we have Max and I kind of have like a mini... Kind of, we've got like a soundboard and like kind of a mini sound studio that we're slowly starting to build and he's got some really great equipment being a musician so one of our goals just in life is to have a home sound studio and things and have people record podcasts and music or just whatever it is that they would want and have that so if I had a lot of money I would definitely want it to go into something that would be beneficial to me and other people in the long run you know yeah For sure. All right. The next questions are from Natasha. And they're asking if you could interview one person deceased or living, who would it be? 
I have given this a lot of thought, Natasha. It took me a long time to come up with an answer, but I actually think it came to me while I was in the shower this morning that if I could interview anybody deceased or living, it would be Harriet Tubman. That is a great, great response. I just feel like she did so much and like the stories that she could tell coming. I know we know a lot of them, but like, First of all, we don't know all of them. Yeah. And then coming firsthand from her would be, I think, so incredible and powerful. And being in the presence of somebody that brave yeah. would be just like, ugh, you know. The first thing that comes to my mind is JonBenet Ramsey to ask her how the fuck she died and who killed her. Sorry. That's the first thing that pops into my well, head. I understand because I, I thought about true crime as yeah, well. Yeah, like <laughs> when I think about like just the, and Amelia Earhart, like the things that like torture me when I can't sleep at night when I want to know the answers to them. So like that's one thing. But um, for those of you who have listened for a long time, you know, two people who have always been very inspiring to me are, of course, Judy Garland, but also Anne Frank. So if I were to choose between the two of them, I would actually really like to speak with Anne Frank. Um, she's somebody that I identified with a lot as a child because I saw just in her uh, wanting to grow up and being older than she was and feeling more mature and loving to write. Um, I always felt really connected to Anne Frank. And so I think I, if I could just have like some coffee and talk with anyone about their lives, it would be Anne Frank. Yeah, that's a good answer. The second half of that is asking if we have a favorite perfume. What is it? (laughs) Okay, so I don't wear perfume on the daily, especially not now because we're stuck in quarantine. Yeah. Um, But I do have a few perfumes that I like. And probably the one that I have that I like the most that I would repurchase because I usually, I use it so infrequently that I just buy the little rollers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because perfume is so expensive. It's ridiculously expensive. That uh, this one I probably would splurge and buy a bigger bottle of just because I enjoy it that much. And that is um, Kate Spade Walking on Air. It, it, I just personally, for me, I really like it. And I also think that like certain scents smell good on some people and not yeah. good on other people. It's just like something to do with your body chemistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, for me, I like the way that one smells on me. So yeah. I use essential oil sprays. I don't use perfume. Um, And so my favorite smells in general are eucalyptus and lavender. So if you smell me and I have a smell, it's probably a hint of eucalyptus or lavender. Um, But as far as perfume goes, my mom has worn the same perfume for as long as I can remember. I know it's Clinique, but I don't remember what the name of it is. It's like an amber color. Clinique Happy. I really enjoy. That one is nice. So... I like to try different ones because I'm not a perfume wearer where I don't have like a smell. And it um, takes forever to go through a whole bottle of something, like a big bottle. Like, it it takes really, so long. It really does. Well, those are all the questions that we have. And I, again, I know we said it at the top of the episode. Um, thank you so much for everybody so much. who wrote into us. These were a lot of questions that we hadn't gotten before. You know, we've done this episode once before where we did an AMA. And I think there is always that fear that we're going to be repeating ourselves a ton. Uh And really, we didn't. And I'm always happy. The ones that we did repeat ourselves on, like how we met and how the podcast started. I'm always happy to periodically talk about that. Like, you know, I... It's almost like look, looking through a photo album and looking at memories, you know, especially right now, I feel like because this is when we started it, I'm getting a lot of photos on my phone and on Instagram and, you know, different kind of fun memories. So anytime that I can watch on memory lane with you is always a fun experience. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, wow. Thanks. Here's to 
more years ahead. <laughs> oh, I wonder how many we've got in us. It's going to be crazy. I'm excited for what's to come. And I, I honestly, especially during the pandemic, I just got to say, I cannot thank everybody enough. I've gotten so much out of this experience, not just from my own education, but just from the support and the community and the friends that I've made and the listeners that we've had for so long where I can name you by name and I know you when you show up on Instagram and when you like things. For me, that's I just want to say thank you to everybody who has not only been supportive of the show, but has been so supportive of Keegan and I personally and for becoming our, our friends. It's really wonderful and it makes me really emotional to think about. Well, yeah, because that's our number one goal. I think if we were to go back and listen to our early episodes, that's the thing that we really drove home the most was that we wanted to create this community where people could come together and maybe feel less alone and commiserate about the things that were happening in the world, good, bad, ugly. And I do think that thanks to all of you listeners, thanks to everybody who wrote in questions, you know, we were able to do that. Yeah. So we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have made it three years without you. So no. thank you so much. Thank you. you I, know? Yes, definitely. And I've got to say, because I hear from so many wonderful people, almost on a daily basis now, that want more feminist friends, want more feminist influences in their life. I've got to say, I'm really trying to get this Facebook page started, this group page. Get on there. Just start uh, start talking to people. Start posting things, anything you want, because really there is such a community out there in these in these listeners and these followers that we have that like I'm I'm amazed at the intelligence and the kindness and generosity of the people that message us all the time. So really, if you're looking for a community, look no further than the people that you can find on our Instagram and our Facebook group, because there are so many people out there that have the same viewpoints as you and that want to talk to you about these things. Um, this is the longest episode we've done in three years, I think. I think so, too. <laughs> I mean, I, I do want to just really quickly remind people that we do have, you know, hopes for the show, different things that we want to do moving forward. We want to grow the show in all kinds of ways. So if you do want to um, purchase merch, perhaps, or if you are interested in Patreon, if that is something that you would be interested in, please do let us know that so that we know yeah. where to focus our efforts. You know, oh, exactly. That, that's important to us. So, Yeah, we can do the best that we can in, in guessing the things that you want from us. We have had a few suggestions of merch and things like that, but for us to put it all out there, it, it really helps reassure us to know that you're actually going to want to participate in it. So getting your feedback on all of that would really be wonderful. So I guess that's a good place to kind of end the episode uh, after giving you so much about us. We want to know more about all of you. So go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com direct message us and follow us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist we've got a Twitter that we sometimes use at yamf podcast y a n f podcast we have a Facebook business and group page rate and review us in the business page and I am telling you go to the Facebook group page just post anything post hi I don't care like let's get some conversations going because you all are so 
fucking wonderful and I love you. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It is so unbelievably helpful to Keegan and I, and we so appreciate when we see those new reviews. You will be featured on our Instagram for Reviews Day Tuesday when you do so. Last but not least, if you don't already, go ahead and listen to us on that Radio Public app. It is a free way for you to listen, and it helps us just a tiny bit. That's all we got for you today. Happy anniversary, Keegan. Happy anniversary, Madigan. With all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.